You're listening to the New Hope Church Podcast. To learn more about what we're doing on the south side of Indianapolis, you can check us out online at becomehope.com. If you like what you're hearing here, be sure you check out one of our companion podcasts. We have a daily devotional podcast called Let's Find Out Together, as well as an apologetics podcast called Salty Saints. Let's listen in as today's talk comes from Randy Spade. Hey, thank you all for being here today. Thank you so much for taking part of your busy day and spending it here with us. My name is Randy. I'm one of the pastors here at New Hope. Uh, We've been working our way through the uh, opening chapters of Romans. Our goal is to end up in Romans chapter 4, and uh, we'll get to Romans 4 next week, where we're going to spend three weeks, four weeks actually, talking about Abraham and how Abraham serves as an example for us. But today, we'll just finish up chapter 3. Now, we as a culture have a love-hate relationship with pride. We tell our kids they should be proud of themselves. We find things that they've done. Sometimes we have to look a little bit longer than other times, but we find things that they've done that we can say, I'm proud of you, and we'll give them awards and say, this award shows you how proud I am of you. And then we say, but don't brag about it. Right? We go to a football game and our team scores a touchdown and we scream and we shout and we jump and fireworks goes off and the band plays and the mascot runs around. And if we have a cannon, we'll fire the cannon. And then the guy who scored the touchdown spikes the ball in the end zone, and he gets a flag for excessive celebration. We have a love-hate relationship with pride. So when Paul starts the passage this week talking about boasting, it sounds just a little bit strange to us. So let's take a look at the passage. Paul says, Romans 3, verse 27, Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. And by that, Paul means the Old Testament. It's based on faith. So we're made right with God through faith, not by obeying the law of the Old Testament. After all, is God the God of the Jews only? Isn't he also the God of the Gentiles? Well, of course he is. There's only one God, and he makes people right with himself only by faith, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. Well then, if we emphasize faith, Does this mean that we can forget about the Old Testament? Well, no, of course not. In fact, only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the law. Okay, so in this passage, Paul makes two blanket statements. He starts out by saying, we can't boast because our righteousness, which 
as we looked a couple of weeks ago, is our solution to the sin problem. We can't boast because our righteousness is through faith alone. Even that faith comes from God. And then secondly, Paul says it's through faith that we actually fulfill the law, the Old Testament. So we're going to start with boasting. What is it that we boast about? So I looked up boasting in the New Testament. You know what I found? 43 times Paul boasts. And when he does, he says, I'm boasting. Now, sometimes he boasts about um, what he has done. More frequently, he boasts about the churches that he's working with, most of whom he's planted, not all. But he boasts about their growth in the Lord. He boasts about their faith. Frequently, he boasts about Jesus himself and God himself. But 43 times, Paul says, I boast. Sounds strange to us, doesn't it? We don't typically start off talking about that. But that's because of our culture. In Jewish culture, and actually in Greek culture of the same time, when the Bible was being written, honor reigned supreme. They were focused on how others viewed them. Honor was central in their own view of themselves. So boasting in this context doesn't really mean bragging. Paul is not talking about, I'm bragging. Instead, what he's saying is, I want to make sure that I have honor. And when he asks the question, can we boast? What he's really saying is, so where does my honor come from? And he asks the question, do I get honor from my obedience to the law? And he answers, no, because I don't obey the law. Rather, my honor comes through my faith in God. Now, Paul starts out talking about boasting that we have done anything to be accepted by God. He's actually going back to an argument that he starts in Romans chapter 2, verse 17. There, before he even talks about the problem of sin, two weeks ago we talked about the problem of sin. Before he even started to do that, Paul says, you who call yourselves Jews are relying on God's law, and by that he means the Old Testament, and you boast about your special relationship with him. The way Paul words that, the way he makes his argument, what he's saying is this. You Jews claim that you have the law, the Old Testament, the first part of the book that we call the Bible. Paul is saying, you boast 
that God has given you the law. Doesn't say you boast because you obey the law, because they don't. But he says you boast because you're saying God gave us the law, and because God gave us the law, we're his special people. We have a special relationship with him because he gave us the law. Nobody else, just Israel. So Paul talks about that. He says, can I boast simply because I have the law? And he answers that question. No. I can't boast because I have the law and nobody else does. Because God is the God of all people. God is the father of Jews and Gentiles. We are all made by God. We are all children of God. And all people are made right with God by faith, whether they're Jews or Gentiles. So we're all the same before him. We can't really look at God and say, you gave us the law, so you must think we're pretty special. Now, actually, today, we ask these same questions. We ask the questions of where does work fit in salvation? There are three things that we talk about. We talk about believing. We want to see people believe in Jesus. And then once they believe in Jesus, we want them to belong to a group like this, maybe a church, maybe a home study group, but we want them to belong to a group of people who also believe in Jesus, believe in God. And once they belong, we want to see them begin to behave. We want to see them begin to obey the commands that God has given us. So these three things, believing, belonging, and behaving are very important to us today. Now, years ago, and by this I mean decades ago, it used to be that churches would first of all expect people to behave like they behaved before they could belong to a church. After they belonged to a church, then they could come to believe what the church believed. Now, very frankly, I grew up in a church like that. I grew up in a church where the expectation was that you would dress a certain way, uh, you would keep a certain set of rules, and if you did, then you could come and be a part of us. And once you were a part of us, you would hear a sermon, and we hoped that eventually you would come to believe. So in that church, we had frequent altar calls. Why? Because we believed that the people would first behave, and then they would come to church and belong to the group. Then they could believe what it is that Jesus wants them to believe. As time went on, 
we began to see that the order was just messed up. And so we changed that order. We said, no, you know what? People need to believe first. And if they believe in Jesus, if they have faith, then they will begin to obey him. They will behave. Now, once they believe and behave, they can belong to us. Another decade or so went past, and we began to say, no, even that order is wrong. People still need to believe. So they still need to accept what it is that Jesus is saying. But once they do that, then they can come in and belong to us. And once they do that, then they begin to learn how to behave. Well, that was then, this is now. That's not happening today. One of the reasons that it's not happening is because the traditional family has broken down in so many cases. Today, men and women actually grow up looking for a family to belong to. Whether they had one parent or two parents at home, many homes that even had two parents, the family structure, the unity, the cohesion of the family broke down and there was fighting and bickering. They grew up, family was a four-letter word for them. So when we talk about the family of God, they begin to ask, why would I want to belong to a family? They're looking for someone to belong to. Today, people want to belong first. Well, you know, that's a possibility. They can belong. Then our hope is that they'll believe. Once they belong to us and they begin to see the love of God acting through us in them, they can accept God's love. They can believe in what God says. And when they do that, it's our hope that they will begin to obey. They'll begin to behave. But if you'll notice, behave up there is in italics. You know why? It's because the way they behave may be different from the way we behave. I grew up in church. I have at this point over 60 years of experience of what the church expects of me. And pretty much I can conform to that. It doesn't cost me anything to do that. It's very natural for me to do that. Many of the things that I do are not necessarily biblical. They're not anti-biblical. But I do them because I know that's what the church would want me to do. Frankly, the way I come dressed on Sunday morning, I put on nice shoes, I put on dress pants, a dress shirt. Uh, that's different from the way I dress during the week with tennies and, and jeans. It's just natural for me to do that. You may find similar things in your life. People who come to the church 
may behave obeying what Scripture says and still do things differently from the way we do them. And that's okay. You know what? Back in the 70s, I, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and there was a group of people that called themselves the Jesus people. Have you ever heard of them? Uh, the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s, by and large, has been absorbed into the mainstream church today, but for a period of time, it existed separately from the mainstream church. In some cases, they actually came together and lived together because as they read Scripture, they saw the disciples doing just that. And they said, we want to do that. They began to care for each other and care for the communities that they lived in because they said, that's what we see in Scripture. It's great. They were genuinely Christian, and they were genuinely different. Lynn and I lived overseas. We lived in Columbia for 17 years, and I'll tell you, then and today, what the Colombian church would do was very different from what we were used to see. The Colombian church behaves differently from the way we behave because they live in a different culture. What we're dealing with here in this list of, of three things, behaving, believing, and belonging, we're really asking the question about where works fits. By behaving, we're simply talking about doing what God says. Those are, those are our works. By belonging, we're talking about being a part of God's family, finding a group that you can join with, that you can be a part of. By believing, we're talking about following God's path, identifying with him. So where do these things fit together? What's happened in the church, what's happened in culture, all of that's nice information. But what we need to be looking at is what does Scripture say about these three things, about behaving and belonging and believing. Well, here in this passage, what Paul seems to be telling us is that first of all, God is the Father of all. First of all, we're all part of one family. We have all been created by God, and as such, God is our Father, whether we recognize Him as Father or not. Once we understand that, we belong to God. We can begin to look for the way that God acts toward us. God gives us faith. He shows us grace. And then by faith, we can see him solve the sin problem that we have. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the sin problem. Last week, Zach talked to us about how Jesus resolves the sin problem for us. Paul apparently is saying that first we belong, then 
we believe. And after we have believed, at the very end of this passage, Paul says only when we have faith do we truly fulfill the Old Testament. Once we belong and once we believe, we learn to obey. We learn to behave. This follows the exact pattern that the Lord Jesus used. Do you remember what he did in the Gospels? He approached 12 men and he said, follow me. He did that long before any of them believed in him. They became part of the disciples. They belonged in a group before they ever believed. It was about a year and a half later that one day Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And then he said, and, and who do you say that I am? And you remember Peter's answer? Peter said, we believe. The belonging came before the believing. Peter said, we believe that you're the Messiah. We believe that you're the Son of God. Behaving, very frankly, that doesn't come until the book of Acts. It's long after that the disciples finally got a clue and began to do the things that God had asked them to do. So we belong. We're all a part of God's family. Then we believe. God solves the sin problem in our own heart through faith in Jesus. Then we behave. We learn to do what God says. So let's come back to the question at hand. Do works save us? Ultimately, that's what Paul is talking about. Do we do works because we believe that in working, we find salvation? Paul says, oh, no, not at all. It's faith. It's faith in God's grace that makes us right with God. Now, in the literature that was written between the two Testaments, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is one book that's written in that book a man tells of a vision that he had. He said that he saw himself approaching heaven's gate. And he knew it was heaven's gate. I don't know, maybe there was a big uh, staley neon light there, right, that said heaven. And he said, that's, that's heaven, that's where I want to go. So he walked to the gate, and at the gate, he found two angels. There was an angel on the right-hand side and an angel on the left-hand side. And as he looked, he realized that the angel on the right-hand side was watching him. And every time he would do something good, that angel would write down the good thing that he did. And when the angel was done writing, he then took that page and he put it in a book, the book of that man's life. The man looked at the, at the angel on the other side of the gate and he realized that angel was also watching him, but he wasn't writing down the good things. That angel was watching him and he was writing down all of the bad things that he did. And when he was done writing the bad things, he put that page in a book. 
Well, the man walked up to the gate and told the angel, the doorkeeper, uh, I'd like to get in. And the doorkeeper said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's weigh your books. And they put the two books, the books of that man's good deeds and the book of that man's bad deeds in a balance. And if the good deeds were heavier than the bad deeds, the angel would step aside and say, the door to heaven is open to you. But if the man's bad deeds outweighed his good deeds, the angel would say, nope, you got to walk on down the path to the other door. But if the man had just an equal amount of good and bad deeds and the balance was just perfectly in the middle, Abraham would come out of heaven. And Abraham, because his book of good deeds were so big, he'd rip up a couple of pages and throw them on the good book side. And the man would enter heaven by the merits of Abraham. Isn't that a wonderful fairy tale? <laughs> but so many of us believe that today. If we just do more good than we do bad, we'll be okay. Have you ever heard that? Have you ever talked to anybody who believes that? Have you ever thought that? The problem with that is it doesn't work. Let's say on October the 13th, you were on your way home and you were in a hurry to get home and you were driving and you were in a 30 mile an hour zone and when you checked your speedometer, you saw that you were doing 93. And you see the lights, lights are going on. So you pull over and you stop. The officer gives you a ticket. You decide to fight the ticket. So you go to the traffic court. And when the judge says, on October the 13th, we clocked you doing 93 in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. How do you plead? You say, Mr. Judge, I plead not guilty because... It is true that on October the 13th, I was doing 93 in a 30-mile-an-hour zone. But that was just October the 13th. The other 30 days of October, I drove the speed limit. Mr. Judge, that's 30 to 1. 30 days I did what the law asked me to do. It was just one day, one little day that I broke the law. How do you think the judge is going to rule? He's going to say, I don't care what you did the other 30 days. You were doing 93 in a 30-mile-an-hour zone on October 13. Pay your fine. Or worse. Let's say your husband and your wife finds out that you have been cheating on her, and she confronts you, and she says, you are cheating on me with that woman over there. And you say to her, but, but, but honey, you're just looking at my relationship with her. Look at these other 40 women that I work with, that I'm friends with. I haven't cheated on you with any of them. Do you honestly think for a minute that she is not going to 
punch you right in the mouth? And deservedly so. You see, nowhere else is your defense that I did more good than bad. The truth of the matter is, if you are guilty of the law, you pay the penalty. In fact, Paul says that. Romans 6, 23 says that the penalty of sin is death. You don't have to be a habitual sinner. You don't have to be a serial sinner. Just one. Just one. And the penalty is death. Do works save us? Oh, no. No. You would have to be absolutely, completely, and totally perfect. And in the history of the world, only one person has done that. The person who went to the cross to die for us so that we wouldn't have to die. So sin uh, works. Don't save us. Do works Maintain our salvation. So we're saved by God's grace. We're saved when we have faith in him. But once we have faith in him, is it that we work and that keeps that salvation? Talked to a lot of people that believe that. Paul in Galatians 2 says this. We know that a person is made right with God by faith in Jesus Christ, not by obeying the law. We believed in Jesus Christ so that we might be made right with God because of our faith in Christ, not because we've obeyed the law. No one will ever be made right with God by obeying the law. So apparently Paul is saying, no, we don't even work to maintain our salvation. You know what I say to that? I say, thank God. God, because I mess up continually. I still need God's, need God's grace. I accepted the Lord when I was 11 years old. I needed God's grace then. I need God's grace now just as much as I needed it when I was 11 years old. Hopefully not because I'm as immature now as I was then. Hopefully I've grown up a little bit. But the fact of the matter is, I still don't follow it perfectly. I still make mistakes. I still am guilty. I still commit sin. I still deserve the penalty of death. But God's grace shows up and still grants me forgiveness. So, works don't save us. Works don't maintain our salvation. Are works then irrelevant? We can do whatever we want? Well, I don't think Paul is saying that either. What's the role of works? In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul writes this, because we have these promises, dear friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. Let us work toward complete holiness because we earned our salvation. No. 
let us work toward complete holiness to maintain our salvation? No. Let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. I think what Paul is saying about works is very simply that works are the grateful response of a changed heart. Works don't save us. Works don't maintain our salvation. We do what God asks us to do simply because we respect him, we honor him as God, and we love him. We want to please him, and he's told us what he wants us to do. So we try to do it. When a father adopts a child, and that child messes up, the father doesn't say, all right, that's it, you're out of here. I'll go look for another child, maybe one that'll obey me. No, you don't do that. Because the father loves that child. The father looks at that child. He loves that child. He shows that child mercy. He forgives that child, but he continues to expect that the child will respect and obey him. And that's what God does with us. When we mess up, God doesn't crumple us up and throw us away. He continues to love us. He continues to show us mercy. He forgives us. But he does continue to expect that we respect and obey him. That's what works are about. Works are very simply the grateful response of a changed heart. Thanks for tuning in to the New Hope Church podcast. If you would do us a favor and like or subscribe on your favorite platform, we would really appreciate it. Also, if you happen to have any questions, feel free to reach out to us at questions at becomehope.com. Have a great week and know that we are praying for you as you seek to be Jesus in every corner of your world.